0: Welcome to SMT Pod, the premier audio publication of the Society for Music Theory. In this week's episode, Christopher Jenkins, with a guest appearance by Phil Yule, interviews the talented musicians who performed in the Theorizing African American Music Conference opening concert.
1: So my name is Chris Jenkins. Uh, I use the pronouns he, him, his. I'm an associate dean at Oberlin Conservatory, and the conservatory liaison to our Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And in June of 2022, obviously Phil Yule and I arranged a conference on analyzing African American and African diasporic music, held at Case Western Reserve University and the Cleveland Institute of Music. We were inspired by Susan McClary, And uh, while we had a focus on classical music, this conference was intended to have a broader reach and range. And an important component of the conference was going to be a concert showcasing the kinds of music that we would actually be talking about. So we spent the second half of 2021, actually into 2022, planning the conference. Uh, Because I live in the area, I live in Shaker Heights, Cleveland, and I have connections to local musicians, I was tasked with organizing this concert. So we were pretty limited in funds. We had uh, financial and in-kind donations from Case Western, Oberlin, CIM, the University of Kentucky's School of Music, and some generous individuals, but we couldn't pay for transportation or housing. So we had to use local talent, but fortunately there are a lot of music schools in the area we had some good options and also we really wanted to present different styles to present a diverse range of uh, classical composition but also jazz and any other styles that we could program obviously most african diasporic music is not classical but we were also limited to performer availability during a busy season of music festivals and ultimately the concert had a large range there were African-American spiritual arrangements by Moses Hogan, by a soprano, Lydia Bangura, but then also spiritual arrangements for cello and piano. And those were by the composer uh, Dolores White, who's from uh, the area. They were performed by her daughter, Diana White-Gould on piano, and the cellist, Kari Joiner. Those pieces actually were written by Dolores White to play with her husband. Donald White, who was the first African-American cellist in the Cleveland Orchestra. Uh, so there's some history there, but that's kind of interesting. There were works also by George Walker, who was an Oberlin graduate, and Adolphus Hale And also, uh, I should mention, a performance of two solo works for cello by Jeffrey Mumford, who was a student of Elliot Carter in a totally different style by, by the cellist Derrett Adkins. So those are multiple black composers, all writing in very different styles. And that was the first half of the concert. The second half of the concert, uh, featured a jazz quartet, the Theron Brown quartet with Sayer Darden on drums, Tommy Lehman on trumpet and Jordan McBride on bass. So the reception of this concert was really amazing. I mean, many folks said they had never seen a concert like this where the focus was just on black music, where the, most of the, of the performers were black, but especially where jazz and classical styles were played together. Because there's such a siloing of styles in, in our concerts, uh, and almost as if either style would contaminate the other, right? Um, and also there's this misguided search for purity sometimes in either discipline, classical or jazz. And especially the idea common among classical musicians that they are somehow higher up and better off than practitioners of jazz, hip hop, and and other African diasporic musics. So I believe there's really some uh, enormous potential in this model, especially at a time when the standard models of classical music presenters are under so much stress to present uh, different styles on the same concert, to program thematically in ways that allow for that type of programming and part of the issue i think has to do with the perceived incompatibility of reception styles that is what the audience is supposed to do they're supposed to behave differently right but there's no reason that a classical uh, music audience can't be allowed to respond to a classical performance the way that a jazz audience responds to a jazz performance So, uh, Kari, thank you so much for joining us and joining me in this conversation about uh, your experience at the concert for the conference uh, that is now from last summer. So,
2: um, Thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed that experience and still
1: reminisce on it. So thank you. I'm so glad, that really makes me feel great, I, I have to say. And uh, I wondered if y- you could speak a bit to your experience in terms of getting uh, re- recruited for this concert, uh, your your experience playing on the concert. And I say this from the, resp- uh, the perspective of someone who's one of my biggest concerns for this concert, because I was both producer and operations and all things was the parking passes. So uh, the genuine, you know, experience in music of the participants in the audience was uh, something that I was focused on and also felt very distant from. So I would love to hear more about how that actually was.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I really, um, you know, kind of the initial process, um, you know, when you reached out to me about it, you know, uh, when I saw the email about kind of this Sort of inaugural conference, really, kind of um, speaking about you know music and Western music, so to speak, or just kind of the the Western art form, but looking at it from the lens of the African diaspora and what are what you know uh, people of from African diaspora um, really bring into the classical music um, sort of genre. I think was very sort of like just compelling um, and really drew me in, and so I think. Um, the idea of having a performance as kind of part of like the opening session or even just kind of part of the initial process of the conference, I thought was a really effective way, even just initially to kind of, you know, show that, okay, this is a great way of um, really bringing something that I think is is definitely needed and useful um, in the study of and in, in the idea of um, the the uh, how one learns about this type of music and how can, one can, especially in a scholarly level, um, really approach it. And so I think um, when I was there, I remember attending, I think, a, a bit of like the plenary session or opening session um, for uh, multiple, you know, music, musicologists and historians and theorists um, that, you know, black music, musicologists and theorists um, and historians in this world that really gave a lot of um, time in, in, in their own energy, but also just um, sharing their knowledge it was, was so impactful. And then the performance part I thought was really neat because You know, hearing um, so many genres, you know, jazz, you know, classical, and then kind of mixing the performers, you know, vocalists with uh, instrumentalists, um, kind of on one program I thought was really, really effective and and that to me felt, you know, important to kind of hear so many music and composers, uh, some of which, you know, I didn't know much about before this, you know, Jeffrey Mumford was a great example. Um, and then of course, it was a, another opportunity uh, served for me to even promote and, and perform works of composers that maybe others didn't know about, like Adolphus Hale Stork and some of the spirituals that I did with dear colleague, Diana White Gould um, of her mother. And so th- these kinds of things, I think all you know, as parts made up such a powerful whole, you know, like the sum of all these parts made a really great whole that I think um, the audience and, and many attendees I think will never forget. And I think it was very, very powerful
1: great. That's so great. And, you know, it's so odd to me, hearing these kind of responses, because many people have these kind of responses. And I feel like if these responses are so profound to this really very simple event, it was a single night of less than 90 minutes of music, I think, you know, right, maybe maybe 120, probably not. Um, why don't we do this more often i mean what is your opinion about uh, the idea of these mixed african diasporic concerts why don't we have concerts where there's jazz uh that being also a problematic word also that we should acknowledge right but that's the word we have uh jazz classical other genres that are african diasporic why is it such an issue that we could do that
2: yeah, you know, I, I think it's such a great question. Um, and I think it really comes down to so many different things. Um, I think that, you know, th- there's so much um, in terms of like, uncovering, um, first of all, sort of uncovering the works of so many different composers and so many different art forms. And, and I think with a lot of things, you know, I learned very early on from my family, because my family, my parents came from really a science background in terms of their their work. And also just like, what they bring to a lot of, I I grew up watching my mom um, really, you know, tackle so many different feats and accomplishments, but also things that, you know, boundaries or walls that she, you know, would hit in terms of like, you know, black um, STEM uh, professionals, chemists, engineers, um, all these kinds of things, but also as an academician, um, and as a professor for so many years, kind of hearing her, you know, always, you know, give wisdom about um, sort of how certain things sometimes get maybe either swept under the rug or just otherwise not known, a lot of it comes down to exposure and really having one needing to know about so many different people. And I think um, that I always think that, you know, there's so many people that we don't know about, you know, the the whole idea of, you know, the history that you've never read or all these kinds of things. Um, And I think a lot of it has to do also with um, sometimes unpacking maybe traumas or or certain things that people, um, you know, maybe went through or, otherwise, you know, had to kind of uh, endure to be able to get to where they are. Um, and especially with different kinds of genres, I think naturally with, uh, at least in art forms, you know, there's there, there can be a way of sometimes compartmentalizing, okay, jazz and classical and, you know, rock, you know, but sometimes when we realize that, you know, for one people, for the voice of African Americans or people of the African diaspora, there's a lot of music that actually is uniting, but then it's how do you find a way to combine it all in a very cohesive way, right? Which is I think why this conference was so necessary because it actually did show that even though you have composers who were writing in the Western canon or tradition, um, that they could be inspired or they could, you know, also take from the same African traditions that maybe jazz then, you know, was founded off of. And so, um, I think that they're, and a lot of it too. I think is you know kind of in the classical sort of music or Western art form, um, one can get a little bit sometimes maybe myopic or just sort of narrow in terms of how they look at music because they're not really realizing that wait you know even in in the European um, tradition they're still borrowing from you know Africa or borrowing from the non sort of white forms um, uh, or genres of music. And so, uh, and that includes even Eastern music, right? So there's kind of this idea of like, we all, we have to first acknowledge that, okay, how do you combine East West or any two different cultures? And then once that, acceptance or acknowledgement of kind of like having a holistic approach of actually joining different forms becomes realized. I think that's when you can then say, okay, let's look at it from the standpoint of music from the African diaspora. Um, So maybe it's just a matter of more of it needs to be done. And we need more people like you, I think, who's that kind of, you know, spearhead that idea. And and I think, you know, because I very much feel the same way as far as you know wanting to do and I, I try to include that on concerts now in my programming um, is music of my own but also how do I combine not just one type of genre you know in that
1: so odd because so many people had uh not just a positive reaction it's beyond that you know it really is um a deep internal response and so it's so odd because this is so easy for us to do it really is I mean yeah come on you know right. all that we did was schedule a concert with different types Right. African American diasporic music. Right. Hit. Right. We had serial music. Right. We had jazz. We had spirituals arranged as art songs. We had art songs. Right. We had everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. How, how can that be so irregular and so earth shattering? Right. Earth-shattering right. Everyone, you know? Right. And actually, for Black people, I have to say, for us, what is it that has kept us apart and not allowed us to conceptualize all that together
3: I'm Phil Yule, and I'm here with Lydia Bangura. um, And we're going to have a brief conversation about how she became involved with the concert at the Theorizing African American Music Conference that took place in June of 2022 uh, at Case Western. So um, I had the great fortune of being a mentoring artist at the uh, Atlantic Center for the Arts back in May of 2022. And, um, and I had, well, over 30 uh, applicants, and it was really tough to, to whittle it down to six, which I had to do. And uh, Lydia was one of the applicants, and she had this great application um, to, to work on uh, Florence Price, among other things. Um, and I chose her as one of my associate artists. So that's how I got to know Lydia down uh, in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, near Daytona Beach. And we had a great three weeks down there with our other associate artists and there were maybe 20 or 30 total people down there. And um, I learned more about Lydia's performance uh, acumen, that she could both sing and play the viola, (laughs) which we did not hear because there was no viola down there, but uh, the singing was there. And um, at the last minute, one of our singers pulled out of the concert that we were uh, preparing for this conference And I thought to myself, maybe I should ask Lydia, but I don't quite know how she sings because I hadn't heard. And so I was able to find a a really interesting recording online. And I kind of approached Lydia at that point. And maybe, Lydia, you can take it over from here and talk a little bit about yourself and and tell uh, how that exchange went. And I'll jump back in when I need to.
4: Sure, yes. So uh, as Phil mentioned, my name is Lydia Bangura. I'm currently a PhD student in music theory at the University of Michigan. I'm also a soprano. My background is in classical vocal performance. I'm an undergrad uh, from Northern Arizona University and a master's from Roosevelt University, both in vocal performance. So, you know, I was so excited to meet Phil at ACA. It was a really, really uh, fantastic time of just rest and research and collaboration. Um, So it was really exciting. And uh, yes, I I had forgotten all about this conference, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I remember because I remember it was such an interesting experience, you know, a year prior in 2021, that summer when we all met on Zoom, mm-hmm. uh, and right. had this big Zoom meeting with uh, all the Black theorists and musicologists and ethnomusicologists to, to talk about what this conference could possibly be. So I remember being invited to that Zoom and I was like, oh my gosh, little old me. Wow. Because I had just <laughs> gotten here <laughs> at that right. point. So I was just excited to be included and in the room and it was so great to to. Um, virtually meet everybody so I remember that happening and then it kind of faded from my memory and then mm-hmm. once we were in Florida and I remember obviously you were in the midst of not only helping us associate artists but also you know putting the finishing touches on everything and managing all that from Florida uh-huh. so I remember you talking about and mentioning it and I was like oh yeah that's supposed to happen sometime soon should I go to that like maybe I can <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna arrange to go to that because I I had forgotten that it was happening that summer. So then when Phil approached me and said, Hey, you know, uh somebody has dropped out of the opening concert and we're looking for somebody to sing. Would you be interested? And I was really blown away by that because again, it was just kind of like me. I, d- <laughs> I just got here and I had no idea that you had gone to my website and found that recording. Yep. Um, That was a, a Judith Weir piece, an acapella piece uh, that I sang back in, that was in 2021. Uh, it was my final project for my master's. So, you know, I don't, I don't have too many uh, videos of me singing out there, but that was one that I had on my website. So yeah, I, I didn't know that that had happened and I didn't really know why you were asking me. I was just like, oh, okay, well, that would be interesting. And, you know, I, I had forgotten about the conference and it was nice to have an opportunity or like a concrete reason to go other than it would be just a great time and a huge learning opportunity. So, uh, well, I had to do,
3: I had to do my due diligence, Lydia, right? Because we (laughs) wanted to put together a really jamming concert and, um, and Chris Jenkins, my co-organizer, um, uh he and i talked on the phone once or twice because he was putting the concert together obviously on this pod episode uh you know he's going to be doing most of the the heavy lifting and it was a fabulous concert i might just add here that in my opinion lydia kind of stole the show uh among many many fine performances um but uh yeah we did a little due diligence and both chris and i watched this uh king harold saga um video that uh is online i just watched it too I oh yeah. No
4: idea.
3: And and we were like, well, it's, it's, it's great, but it's, you know, it's not African-American music necessarily. Right. So mm-hmm. um, we, but we were like, and so I kept prodding Lydia. Hey, do you have any, any, uh you know, do you sing any music by African-Americans or just African diasporic composers? And, and, and Lydia's like, well, why are you asking? Because I hadn't extended the invitation yeah. yet. I just want to like, do you have something in your wheel? Because we were literally like three weeks out, I think, Yeah. Um, from the conference. So I'm like, I don't want you to go off and learn some big piece in like two weeks and then, you know, have it not be fulfilling for everybody you included. And then you said, yes, I have some spirituals. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that.
4: Sure. So... Uh, I ended up performing a little set of Moses Hogan spirituals. Uh, This is funny because so I had prepared these for my master's recital um, at Roosevelt University, but I actually never got to do my master's recital because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I had I was just kind of sitting on a lot of music actually, right, that I never got to perform. I was going to do some Mozart. I was going to do a bunch of arias. I was, and then I was going to do these Moses Hogan spirituals, uh, but I never got to, you know, actually perform them because of the pandemic and because I didn't get to do my recital in 2021. So, you know, when you asked, oh, have you performed, uh, piece by African-American composers I've I've done a couple William Grant still pieces and stuff like that periphery stuff you know throughout uh my undergrad and my master's but those were kind of the freshest things that I had worked on and Mm -hmm. never got to actually perform so that was a really exciting uh prospect to me that it was like oh wait I have you know this set that I I never got to do and it would be really fun to perform them
3: that's great and we were able to get you to the conference we were able to pay you a little money always good for a grad student struggling (laughs) grad student in there (laughs) and like I said uh I think Lydia really stole the show so um maybe we can listen to a little bit of that now
5: my name is Theron Brown and I'm a jazz pianist. Um, I currently live in Akron, Ohio, where I teach at the university there, the University of Akron, um, in the jazz department.
1: Cool, and you have uh, a band uh, that you play with as well, is that right?
5: Yeah, I have my own band, the Theron Brown Trio, which consists of uh, myself on piano, Zaire Darden on drums, and Jordan McBride on the bass. Uh, So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you ended
1: up getting involved in this concert?
5: It's actually a good question. How did I get involved
1: in this? (laughs) I know from my perspective, I got in touch with Chris Coles. And then I think he connected us or he recommended you or he got in touch with you.
5: Do you remember that
1: at all? I know how gigs are. I mean, it's pretty hard to remember
5: how things get started. Yeah, there's a lot of them in in the connections. Yeah, they can vary. But yeah, actually, I, I do remember Chris was like, Hey man, I got this thing coming up and I can't make it. I was hoping you could, you know, put a group together for it. And he told me a bit about you. And it just seemed like to, you know, lined up with what I like to be involved in as far as, you know, organizations and uh, educational front of things. So yeah, I, I think uh, and of course I I trust my buddy Chris Coles. He's a he's been a longtime friend and uh an amazing musician. So
1: yeah, and you know, what was really special from my perspective and I hope for the audience and I hope for you guys was the opportunity to be involved in a concert that was, that was cross um, genre. It was not just classical or jazz, not trying to be a concert of anything other than African diasporic music, African-American music in particular. Um, and I'm curious if you've had other opportunities to play on those kinds of concerts, or if not, what that experience was like for you, if you have any recollection of it.
5: Yeah, actually, um, I haven't done anything that was that, you know, focused uh, on diversity. The first thing I noticed that it, it was a lot of people that that looked like me, which was really cool, um, That is, that are, are masters in that music. And that's not uh the stereotype that usually comes now myself yeah i'm a jazz musician but i i did get my master's in uh piano performance which was classical music um yeah it was just nice to see that representation but not only just representation but skilled masterful representation um and to have that kind of talent in one room that kind of creativity that kind of pride you know that that it's something that you can barely even put in the words. It's a feeling and to be a part of something like that. uh, Yeah, super special for me uh, beyond measure. When you think about it, it uh, it makes
1: so little sense that we don't have opportunities to hear different genres of music that are inspired from the same core that is African diasporic music and we can't hear them all in the same place. Why shouldn't one be able to have spirituals played on the cello arranged by a classical, a Black classical composer and a jazz trio, a jazz uh, group on the same bill, right? What is the reason we can't do that? No one can really articulate what that is. But it's so firmly entrenched, it's so hard to imagine how we could do it otherwise, right? So
5: absolutely. Anyway. And th- those are the exact kind of boundaries uh, that need to be broken down. And this is an example, I feel. Um, to the educational field. Like, hey, you don't have to be afraid of this thing. Um, We can advance in how we present concerts. We can advance in the repertoire. We can advance in how we present and messages that we want to be brought across that are relevant to today. Because at the end of the day, I mean, this music, all of it, it's an art form and, and people can have an opinion or not. But the true you know, what the art is supposed to stand for is a, a snapshot of the history of what's happening now. And we can't be afraid of that, even if it does go the, against the grains of tradition or, you know, just the usual way of doing things to check boxes, even like let's break out of that and 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 yeah, stir up the pot a little bit. And I, I think this uh, shows that as an example to keep this going, uh, definitely from artists' perspective maybe i'm a little biased but i think community wise it 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 sends a sense of comfort you know something we need right now which is change Uh, so yeah this is good for the community and this is good for the institutions education all around yeah
1: well is there anything else that you want to talk about or mention or that i forgot to ask about
5: um Other than just some encouraging words to everybody, keep doing it. Do it from a good place in your heart. And just remember if you do it for something bigger than you, then it's it's probably, you know, it's going to be successful.
0: The author of this episode would like to extend a sincere thank you to peer reviewer Kevin Holt. Special thanks to Phil Ewell, Lydia Bangora, Kari Joyner, and Theron Brown for their participation in this episode and for performing beautifully at the conference opening concert. Visit our website at smt pod.org for supplemental materials related to this episode and to learn how to submit an episode proposal. Join in on the conversation by tweeting your questions and comments at SMT underscore pod. SMT pod's theme music was written by Zheng Chen Liu with closing music by David Voss. Thanks for listening.